Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 368 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Today's episode is brought to you by ProMedia Fire. You can book your free digital strategy session today at promediafire.com forward slash church growth and by Remodel Health. You can visit remodelhealth.com forward slash carry to learn how your organization can save in healthcare and get uh, free access to a lot of resources. So my guest today... Chris Hogan, man, I love this conversation. I love the work that everyone over at Ramsey Solutions is doing, including Dave. We just booked Rachel Cruz to come back on the podcast as well. And man, so many people struggle with money issues. Leaders struggle with it. Uh, Married couples struggle with it. Single people struggle with it. So we talk about broke money habits, millionaire money habits, and there's some real surprise, you know, about who millionaires really are. And uh, in this episode, Chris shares some surprising data from a 2017 study of, get this, 10,000 millionaires and the habits that made them, you know, financially healthy. And it is not what you think. And if you're like, why would I even listen to this? Um, Actually, most of the millionaires, a a significant percentage never made a six-figure salary. So if you're like, I'm underpaid, uh, we got some stuff for you in this show. Chris Hogan is the two-time number one national best-selling author, a financial expert, and host of the Chris Hogan Show for more than a decade. He has served at Ramsey Solutions, equipping and challenging people to take control of their money. He's got a brand new book, second book called Everyday Millionaires, How Ordinary People Built Extraordinary Wealth. I've lived without financial margin and with financial margin. I promise you, It is much better to live with financial margin. So anyway, and you can imagine whether you make a lot of money or a little. And speaking of money, how would you like to save some money on your health insurance for 2021? If you're a little bit tired of your expensive, outdated group plan, where the assumption is that one size fits all, uh, you got to check out Remodel Health. They are the health benefits software and consulting service that helps you as an employer save money and care for your team by switching organizations from traditional group insurance to individual plans, you get better benefits or the same benefits for your entire team at a greatly reduced cost. In fact, listeners to this podcast alone have saved $1.5 million in the last year and a half. So imagine what you could do with that kind of money pouring back into your ministry or your organization. So you also gain access to industry experts and advisors to walk alongside you and your employees as you find a solution uh, that will help you. So if you want more, go to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry. That's remodelhealth.com forward slash carry. You get access to their free savings calculator, church buyer's guide, brand new ebook, and start saving money today. And if you are looking to make your accountant and your lead pastor happy, here's an easy way to do it. Check out Promedia Fire. So online is the game now. And you know that, right? We're not going back to the way it was pre-COVID. And right now, Promedia Fire is providing custom-tailored quotes to churches of all sizes to help with their creative and digital needs. Process is simple. You fill out a quick application online with your current needs and budget. You receive a free digital strategy session and custom quote to fit your budget. Then you save some money and change the world by upping your social media. So you can have an entire team of professionals helping your church grow online for a great price. 
They do social media content, graphics, videos, website design, digital strategy, and so much more. Go to promediafire.com forward slash church growth and get started. Uh, this is the time to plan for 2021 and Remodel Health and Promedia Fire will help you. Hey, in the What I'm Thinking About segment, we're going to talk about church engagement, uh, kind of changing the conversation in the next month on our channels to talk all about not just attendance, but engagement. So I'll be talking about that at the end of the show. But without further ado, let's get into my uh, riveting conversation with Chris Hogan. Well, it's a joy to have Chris Hogan on the podcast. Chris, welcome. Well, thank you, sir. It's good to be with you. So I got to ask you, your voice, that is like, you could be Morgan Freeman in all the movies. I'm sure you hear that everywhere you go, right? Well, you know what? I, I, it's an honor uh, to be put in that class, but uh, it is definitely something I get a chance to use as a speaker uh, to people's attention. Awesome. Well, you got my attention and I know we have uh, a great but limited window today. So I'm going to get right to it. We're going to talk about money because that's what you write about. That's what you talk about. You're part of the Ramsey Group. You work with Dave Ramsey and uh, some wonderful people that we've had on this show before. Uh, you did a study of 10,000 millionaires in 2017, one of the biggest or the biggest studies ever done of millionaires. I'd just love to know, what's the most surprising thing that came out of that data? I have to tell you something, Gary. Yeah. It was, you know, for me, there were so many things, uh, especially as we started to chop down a lot of myths, you know, because if you, if you tell a lie long enough, loud enough, People will start to believe it. But even for myself, as I started to dig in and really think about what I thought about wealth or what I thought about it being possible to become a millionaire, even as a young middle class kid out of Kentucky, it was so really surprising to me to see just how, how, how much people didn't inherit versus what, what a lot of people believe to be true. Like we see if someone's a millionaire, then they came from a wealthy family and someone handed them right, this wealth. It was nothing right. they their own. And we actually found major to the contrary. And so it was just really eye-opening uh, for me. Uh, another thing was these the professions of these people. You know, a lot of times, I mean, number one profession was engineers, yeah. uh, which surprised. They, they plan stuff, right? Number two were accountants. Well, they count stuff. That didn't surprise me. But number three blew me away. And that was teachers. We're talking mm. about teachers and professors came in as the number three position and profession of these millionaires. And so it just blew up a lot of myths about you have to make a high salary, you have to work a prestigious job. It really reset everything for me and a lot of people. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. So I know there's a lot of data in your book, uh, Everyday Millionaires, but I would love to know, um, any idea why it was teachers who were at number three? Well, here's the reality. Well, teachers do a, a great job of educating, right? So they want to bring their knowledge, but they're also planners, right? And so looking at this where they're consuming knowledge on this financial stuff, but also planning for the future, meaning they utilize it. They were starting to invest early. They were very intentional about what they were doing. And so allowing compound growth to happen. And so reality, I want to help people get this baseline. Because there's a lot of fuzzy math out there, Carrie, and I want to set this straight. All right. When you net worth is what you own minus what you owe. Right. Right. And so you take what you own, the equity in your home, the cars, the money in your bank account, 401ks, you add all that up, subtract out what you owe on. And if that end number is a million or more, then congratulations, you're an everyday millionaire. Right. How many, how many uh, millionaires are there in America now? I think there were uh, something like 11 million in 2017. Is, is that the current data that you have? Or? 
that's kind of the fluctuation point between 11 and 12 right now. Yeah. So as a percentage of the population, it's still single digits, right? 90 whatever percent are not going to be millionaires. And uh, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, a million dollars isn't enough anymore. Well, certainly if you're in the top five percentile or whatever, it's probably close to it's better than the others. I know I, that blows me away when I hear people throw that out there, that it's yeah. just not. I'm thinking, hold on a minute. If you follow the plan that I talk about, you get yourself out of debt, right? The average millionaire is paying off their home in 11 years. And so if you get out of debt, you pay off your home and now you're investing. You don't have any obligations outside of normal day-to-day living. Uh, a million dollars is absolutely more than enough because we're going to keep growing that money, not let it sit and kick its feet up in a hammock. Yeah, yeah. What was least surprising about the data? You know what? One of the stats that jumped out at me, but then once I thought about it, I realized this really doesn't surprise me. Right. 7% of the 10,000 millionaires that we studied believe that they control their own destiny. Hmm. 97%. Versus 50% of the general population. So realistically, as you look at this, and of course they feel they can control it. You know, they're controlling what I call the controllables. Being very intentional with money, being very intentional with giving, and just having a plan all the way around, as opposed to the general population that allows money just happen to them. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, right? Because on the one hand, uh, we, I believe, and I know you share that in the sovereignty of God and not everything is within our control. But there was kind of a, as for me in my house, right? Hey, I can't control you. I can't control the stock market. But as for me in my house, uh, I know I was going to ask you this a little bit later, but I want to get into it now because we're talking about millionaires and here's the reality. 98% of the people who are listening to this are probably not in that category or 90% are not in that category. Some of them are working for not-for-profits and they're in their 20s or their 30s. They're making less that they, than they could on the open market. Others are entrepreneurs. I think one of the myths about entrepreneurs, you're free to correct it, is, you know, oh, you must be rolling in dough. Well, some of them are pulling $50,000 out of the company for themselves rather than having someone else pay for it. Um, so speak to the low income earners, somebody who's not pulling in six figures, which would be the vast majority of people here. And um, just tell them why they would even want to listen to this conversation. Well, I think that the big thing is, is you know, number one, I think it's important to make sure that we're striving for the desires that we have in our heart. And as you mentioned too, obviously our Lord and Savior is in control and wanting to serve. And I think there are a lot of things that we can do with serving and giving, whether that's with money, with our time or our talents. And so I want to commend people out there that are following their heart and following their call, first and foremost. You know, the main thing is, is that it talks about, you know, leaving a legacy. And in my mind, that's leaving a mark. Right, whether that's on the people that you serve with or the people that you are serving. And so I would say, you know, the most important thing I want people to understand is what's possible, right? Too many times in our world right now, I think we've got this victim mindset where we, we allow either this self-internal thinking to put limits on what we can and can't do, or we allow other people to tell us what we can and can't do. I want people to realize what's possible with them and their Lord. And that's mm -hmm. the most thing is to have that mind and that heart set. Uh, but I want people to know this. I, I was a uh, carry believer or not. Before I got my act together, I was a village idiot with money. Okay. Let's tell you, I'm just going to come clean with you, buddy. But back in the day, I was always able to out earn my stupid, I would yes. call it. And what the, <laughs> you chuckle. So I think you can relate. Oh, I'm, I'm familiar with that pattern. Yeah. What, eventually what had to happen was because I believe this lie 
that once I started making X amount, I would start to do better. And I want the people out there that are serving in churches, serving in nonprofits, I want you to hear me. I want you to start right where you are. That means if you're making 20,000 or 30,000, I want you to manage that and understand that you're a steward of this money. Lord or God owns it all. Our job is to manage it and steward it. I want you to be the best steward that you can inside of that and, and control it. And don't wait on someday. Uh, someday's not on the calendar. And what we do is get intentional today and start to manage what we have. Yeah, I mean, I've, 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 I've talked quite publicly on this podcast and other formats. I think churches should pay living wages. I think not-for-profit should pay living wages. But there are churches that don't, not-for-profits, and even companies that don't pay living wages. So, you know, a lot of the times when I'm working with people who don't make a big salary, they'll say, but you know what? Like, Chris, what you don't understand is like housing costs X or my apartment costs X and I need transportation. And like, and I, I empathize, like groceries, a loaf of bread costs you, me, and everybody listening the same amount of money, right? It does. So it's not fair. Gasoline is the same amount, a dollar, uh, you know, a gallon, whether you have a million dollars in the bank or a dollar in the bank. Um, what would you say to people who are sort of at that bubble where they're barely making it? it does, does this conversation have any application to them? I think the big thing is, is, you know, it doesn't, that's not a surprising thing to me. Uh, a Wall Street Journal stat showed that almost 80% of people are living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Uh, if one check doesn't show up, they now have what's called a situation. Uh, you, you have a lot of people that are in that, in that predicament right now, especially due with the COVID-19, uh, which serious wake-up call, I think, and a stirring in people on the financial side. Uh, to understand that we can't wait on the government to try to come in and save the day. We kind of have to get our own cake. And so for those people that are in that situation, I think going back to controlling the controllables, uh, the things that I can control, and I tell people there are five things that you can always control. Your faith, your attitude, your outlook, your actions, and your responses. Mm. And if I keep myself rooted in that, and I'm controlling those things, the non-controllables, the weather, the COVID crisis, other people's responses. I can't do anything with that. But what I can do is begin to constrict and look at how am I spending money? We all have areas that are blind spots or areas that are weaknesses financially. So I think it's important to start to budget and really pull in and look and understand, do I have a plan for my money? Right? Because uh, John Maxwell says, you either tell money where to go or wonder where it went. And I'm fine. <laughs> That's and a great line. You are socioeconomically. It's really important for us to have awareness but more importantly, a plan. Yeah. A um, couple more questions about the study. One is, any uh, like you hear these stories about someone who made $45,000, $50,000 a year and retires a millionaire. You know, by 60, 65, they're a millionaire. Is that the outlier? Or did you see ample evidence that big salaries don't necessarily, uh, is not necessarily a prerequisite for wealth? Yeah, I'm going to tell you, the big salary thing was totally a myth looking at this, it just, I mean, I know people want to believe that, uh, but it's just, you know, a third of the millionaires that we study, a third of them did not have a six figure household combined. Wow. This is two people working outside of the home. And so you start to think about that. You think if both were working and they weren't making six figures, how did that happen? Well, it kind of really goes back to basics, right? Where you're budgeting. I'm going to understand that if I have debt, it's a threat not only to today, but to the future. It's also obligation. So it's taking my money. So if I can get myself out of debt and then build up that emergency fund and then invest consistently over time, 
That's the thing where you're building wealth, not just trying to get rich. Hmm. That's so encouraging to know that a third of all millionaires study, and I mean, this is 10,000, it's not like random sampling, they never made over six figures. Um, last question, college education. So the Ramsey Group has been uh, really, and, and I think appropriately so on the student loan thing. That started to blow up in the 90s when I was graduating and I was watching these people go through seminary, or through, uh, yeah, seminary. And I'm like, wow, how are you ever going to pay that off? And I happen to be married to a woman who made a good salary. So we didn't have, uh, well, I had a tiny bit of student debt, but nothing compared to today. And we paid it off quick. Um, how important is a college education to, because uh, I'm thinking about parents right now. Do I send my kid to college? Do I not send my kid to college? Well, you know, down the road. Uh, any, any data on that? Well, first and foremost, you know, I am a proponent of higher education. Uh, I have a bachelor's. I have a master's. I went to graduate school and completed it. Uh, but, you know, I think the big thing is, is it's all a matter of growing and understanding your career path. Um, you know, unfortunately, I talk to people that have a desired heart for a certain career, but unfortunately, they go to a private school and take on hundreds of thousands of student loan debt, which it was not necessary. Hmm. And so I think it really goes back to awareness. I firmly believe we've got too many young people walking into financial aid offices, signing documents they don't understand for payments that they'll eventually not be able to afford. Uh, that's a travesty, and that's a problem. And I think that's going to start with parents talking to young people, helping them to understand that higher education is available. Uh, you can go to a community college uh, and knock out some prerequisites and then transfer to a four-year school and graduate in two. But I want to talk about this, and as far as the millionaire study, you know, most people believe if you're going to build wealth or you're going to do X, Y, and Z, you have to go to a fancy, prestigious school right, and take on all of this student loan debt, 62% of the millionaires that we studied went to a public university. Wow. 62%. 8% went to a community college. percent <laughs> never graduated college. So education is good, but it's not a prerequisite uh, for people with how they handle money. Um, what you notice in the top three professions that we talked about of engineers, accountants, and teachers you know, what wasn't in the top three? Doctors, lawyers, you know, these professions. Yeah, people, you're right. Yeah, people naturally think, oh, they'd be in the top three. No, they weren't. And now that comes from a lot of student loan debt. It also comes from not being in control, right? Not money and really learning how to be grown up enough to tell a want that it needs to wait. As a law school graduate, I can tell you we did not spend a single hour on how to run a law practice or how to manage finance. Not a penny, like you nothing. Say that. I hear that from attorneys that I've worked with. I hear it from doctors. Dentists all the time tell me, oh, yeah. They taught us this stuff. No, and pastors, like how to run a church, how to run a budget, how to run your household budget. It's like, that's why there's lots of opportunity for people like you to make a big difference in people's lives. Um, so we've got young leaders, as I said to you before we started recording, um, church leaders are entrepreneurs. What are some common money characteristics you see in each of the groups? Church leaders, entrepreneurs. Uh, you mentioned one already, which is like, I'll out-earn my spending, right? So there's that. What are some other um, characteristics you see in uh, some of the leaders who are listening right now? Well, in the church leaders, especially, uh, especially young pastors or youth leaders, you have people that have this heart to serve, right? They 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 sincerely care. Yes. People, 
Um, and I love to see that. I love to see that hunger and that desire to be able to impact people's lives. Um, you see that also in church leaders. You know, the main thing that I've seen of people when it comes to money, whether I'm working with pro athletes, entertainers, or musicians, you have people who are severely talented in their craft and what they do. Uh, the problem is, is that this money thing impacts all of us, right? We have to learn how to deal with money or it deals with us. But the three things that I've seen in those structures as I've worked with people and coached them is, is, number one, a lack of understanding of how money works, right? A lack of understanding. The next thing is a lack of planning, not mm. knowing steps to take when, uh, and then failing to take the right actions uh, at all. Uh, thinking that, hey, we'll get to that someday. And so those are kind of the traits that I see. Um, and so what I want are more youth pastors uh, becoming senior pastors or yes. move trail um, and being able to impact other young people and letting them see their light shine. And so I think we, what happens is, is we have to educate people to help them see this, but I want them to start right where they are. If you're making 30 grand or 15 grand, whatever it is, I want you to learn how to plan it. Uh, because your income will grow. But what I want to also grow is your knowledge and your progress. Right. That is One of the, um, I read this book, it's called Profit First. You you may well be familiar with it. but And the whole principle behind it for business owners is, uh, especially for small entrepreneurs starting out from the mom and pop store to I got an idea to I have an internet business, is they look at their bank account, they see like $50,000 there and they're like, I'm rich, I've won the lottery not realizing that, uh, oh, actually 30,000 of that goes to taxes and 10,000 is payroll. And next thing you know, they went out to the dealer, bought a new car, and then they realized they have to default, they can't pay for it, or they have to go get a loan. A any, any comments on sort of that cycle of, uh, because I think a lot of church leaders struggle with margin too. How much do I keep in the bank? How much do I not keep in the bank? How does that work? I'd love to hear your wisdom on that from those who are running organizations. As you're running an organization, it's really important to have that mindset on just the overall numbers. As I call it, keeping your hand on the pulse. You know, individuals, we talk about the importance of having an emergency fund. This COVID-19 situation has been a severe wake-up call to people to understand they either didn't have enough or they probably took, should have took it a little more serious, right? For organizations uh, right now, as we look at churches who were forced to close their doors, for the first time, we've never had a situation true. which can severely impact giving, right? Which then can severely impact the functionality of the church. And so with business owners, I tell them, you want to keep what's called, you need an emergency fund, but it's called something different. It's called retained earnings in the business. And, you know, the same thing would be retained operational capital uh, inside of the church world. And so it's really important to have that aspect of, of being able to serve and to pastor people, but the business mind, uh, the awareness and, and keeping your hand on the pulse is also important. You know, I tell people there are four people you need in your life. You need a mentor, you need a coach, you need a cheerleader, and you need a friend. Mm -hmm. And those are multiple people. But I think even for pastors, looking for a mentor, someone that has some business awareness, some business acumen, to be able to guide them as they're walking through, looking to either grow a church or sustain it. Either way, we need knowledge. Mm. Do you have, because uh, I've asked a number of guests this question over the last six months, because uh, I think, you know, you're right. A lot of people got caught just shocked back in March when the world stopped. 
Do you have moving forward a rough guideline that you would recommend for cash in the bank, retained earnings? Like, you know, some people would say, I mean, before COVID, people were like, yeah, if you have a month in the bank, you're great. Others are like, you need to have a year. I think I heard Dave Ramsey say on an interview, he'd love to have 12 months. He's never had it because of the growth curve, but like you should have X number of dollars. What are your thoughts on that, Chris? On the individual side, we tell people three to six months of fund at minimum. And if you're someone that is self-employed, you're going to aim more for the six months because you have volatility in your income. Uh, On the church side, I would tell them, you know, if you can shoot for six to 12 months, that's fantastic. Um, As we look at this, what's really uh, interesting, we've told people three to six months. And as you look at this from this COVID crisis happening uh, to the time that things are starting to get back to a little bit of normal, it was around three to five months long. So, you know, this is a good guide. Um, and, and people will tell me, Chris, I hear you, but how do you do it? And I said, well, this is where you've got to begin to do it intentionally. Like it won't happen by itself. So I've got to scale back. I might have to look at doing some extra. I've talked to a lot of people about taking on second or third jobs if you have to. Uh, but you're going to have to give up something in order to gain something better. And that's this mindset we have right now in our American culture. We have this and mindset, right? I want to stay the same and I want things to get better, right? (laughs) Keep doing what I've always done, but I want things to get better. And it just doesn't work that way. So uh, you've talked at at some length about broke habits and millionaire habits. Can you just walk us through a few broke habits? One of my pet peeves in life is to cure the church of broke thinking. So I just love to hear you talk about that. Well, I think first thing is uh, the whole wants versus needs. Uh, I think we've got to be grown up enough to know the difference. Uh, needs, I tell people, you need to have the, the four walls around you. You're taking care of your, your housing, your utilities, having food on the table and having clothes on your back, as well as keeping gas in your car. Like those are the, the four walls we talk about you have to have. But, you know, a, an upgraded TV is, is not a need. Yeah. Uh, you know, the $300 gym membership so you can work on a tan or socialize, it's not a need. Uh, you know, and so I would say that people that are broke tend to do things that they want to do, not prepare for the things that they need to do. Uh, another broke mindset thing is just making money to make it without having any kind of plan whatsoever uh, or any kind of reserve set aside. And I think another one is wanting to be rich versus building wealth. Hmm. I love this for a second because because. Getting rich means it happened overnight. That's the late night TV stuff that you see. And I just, I roll my eyes, right? Because 100 easy payments of $299 a month, they'll tell you how, right? It's absurd. Uh, You want to build wealth over time. And you and I know there are so many scriptures in the Bible about money because money is a tool. And when people come at me and they'll say, well, Chris, you know, wealth is not a good thing. I go, well, you didn't read it right, right? It's the love of wealth. Uh, You no, the good Samaritan doesn't get to be the good Samaritan if he didn't have some reserves. He had money set aside to be able to impact, to be able to help. And he had the heart and the means to be able to step in to help someone in need. What, what is the difference in your mind, and you touched on it a little bit, between uh, being rich and being wealthy? I think rich is something that happens quickly. Hmm. Uh, it's something through an inheritance, uh, through signing a record deal, signing an athletic deal. You know, that's something where just money happened and an influx came. I think building wealth is something that happens over time. It's intentional. 
um, you know, it's that that school teacher that's putting money inside of the 403B, you know, month after month over a 25, 30 year period. Um, I think it's the young person that's working as an entrepreneur that understands they may not have a 401k because they're self-employed, but there's an opportunity to do a SEP, or there's an opportunity to invest in growth stock mutual funds. And they start to intentionally build that into their budget. Um, I'd love your take on this too, Chris. Uh, we've all heard the stats about the number of professional athletes who go bankrupt after signing the big deal, like, you know, two years outside of the NFL and X percent are bankrupt. Also, um, um, lottery wealth, that does not usually go very well. I'm curious as to why. Why do you think that is? What happens? Because I think in, the, in our heads, we're all saying, listen, you drop a million dollars in my lap, I'm going to take really good care of that, Chris. But then it just, the odds don't play out in that direction. Yeah, it's fact versus fiction. I think it's a matter of, you know, someone that has come from nothing, that has built up wealth over time, they've made some sacrifices, but they've also made some mistakes and they've learned from them, right? And so I think people that suddenly come into money, I've worked with a couple of lottery winners um, and, and, you know, the mindset, they weren't prepared to learn how to handle it. And so they went more toward of that broke mindset of just dealing in wants, not need. And so they just wanted, wanted, wanted until the money was almost virtually gone. So I, it's the preparation, it's the process of learning, it's the process of having to be grown up enough to say no, uh, but it's also a process of going through tough times. I think when you go through a tough time, what you do is you realize this is something I don't ever want to be here again. So I do what's necessary. I don't have to feel that. Turns out that oven is hot and I don't touch that thing. Yeah. You, uh, I think one of the millionaire habits is goal setting, that that was something a lot of millionaires did. And I think you hint at the importance of writing your goals down. Can you tell us about that? I really am a huge proponent of goal setting. Um, I, you know, I was taught this, listen, I'm a, I'm a little Kentucky boy. I mean, I'm not that small, but in my head I am, (laughs) but Kentucky, uh, but I had a lot of incredible teachers, professors, and coaches in my life. And it was crazy as as a lot of them talked about goals. And so I was taught this at a young age, uh, the importance of not just having a goal, but being serious about it and writing it down, something about seeing it in your own handwriting. And I still do this to this day uh, where I make five big goals for myself in a year. Um, I keep a copy of it in my closet. So I see it every morning when I get dressed, I keep a laminated copy of my vehicle. So I see it when I drive and I keep one in my bag. And so it's presence of mind. Right. And so I understand not just the goal, but why, why do I want to achieve this? Who wins when I win? Who's impacted in a positive way? But what does it allow me to do for other people anonymously that people don't know about? And so I think having that written down helps you to see it, helps to see it, not just in your head, but in your heart, Gary. I think that's the key. When we tap into our hearts, there's nothing we can't do. And we're willing to make sacrifices for something that helps us help others. You ever see people sabotage their financial future? Like they get ahead and then they kind of undo it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've seen people do the self-sabotaging. I've seen people do the self-fulfilling prophecy where they've heard that, hey, we're not good with money or our family doesn't handle money well. And they've heard it so much that they actually start to buy into it. And, and they consciously or subconsciously will continue to kind of do some things to set themselves back. And so that's really a hard issue where you really got to dig in and say, hold on a minute. Do you believe it's possible for you to handle money well? And I'll ask people that. 
They'll go, well, I think I can. I go, okay, well, we got to get past think and we've got to get past to believe. I need you to believe it because with belief, you can grow in knowledge, right? And when you grow in knowledge, you can take the right actions. Uh, without one of those three, I think you set yourself up for failure. One of the stats that blew me away, and I want to make sure I have it right. If not, you can correct me. But all half of all baby boomers don't even have $10,000 saved for retirement. And, and note to file, that means they're almost all retired. So it's not like, oh, you're 18. Like boomers have less than $10,000 saved. That's crazy. Um, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't either. Uh, to see that, it's shocking to me uh, that you have people that are, you know, uh, that close to uh, age 65 and not yeah. have any money set aside. And then to put on top of that, you know, we have the CARES Act that's supposed to care about people. And it's allowing people to pull money out of their 401k without the penalty, but they still have to pay taxes over two years for the money they're pulling out. And so, you know, it just for me that are in people that are in that age bracket, um, I tell them you can glance back, but we have to focus forward. Meaning if you're awake and you've got breath in your lungs, you've got an opportunity to make a difference. So what are we going to do? And time is of the essence. And it's really important to really start digging in into those essentials. And I'll list those, the essentials being budgeting, being very intentional, uh, getting debt, getting out of debt, uh, where you get your money back because you actually get a raise when you get out of debt. Hmm. Then we build up that emergency fund, and then we have to start to invest. And so it's about getting started. We can't just sit and just worry about what wasn't done. We have to maximize time right now. I think one of the best things my wife and I did, and it took us a few years to figure this out, was we hired an independent financial planner. And you talk a lot about independent financial planners. And the part that was most liberating for us was, you know, you usually have a spender and a saver. I would confess to being the spender. She would be the saver. We never quite had enough. Um, but it was really nice. He wasn't trying to sell us an investment. He wasn't trying to sell us anything. He's just like, it was fee-for-service financial planning. And um, it's like, oh, if you save X number of dollars a year for this many years, this is where you'll retire. And that kind of, it just was such a clear picture. Um, can you talk about the importance of financial planning, independent financial planning, and even beyond budgeting? Because um, budgeting is really important. Otherwise, you're in a deficit all the time. Um, but any thoughts? Like, did that play a role in the research? I know for us, it was game changing. It was just game changing. Uh, we had it. It was almost 70% of uh, the millionaires that we studied worked with an investment professional. Wow. And, you know, that's a massive number. So they weren't like day trading because some friend told them about a hot, hot stock tip, right, Chris? <laughs> day trading. I started twitching. I had a flash. <laughs> but, but no, working with someone is really important uh, because you, you want someone to be able to understand your goals, talk with you. It's that coach, right? The coach that you get better at a sport or in, in, a, in playing an instrument. It's someone that's guiding you. Uh, and I tell people, you want to find someone like that. You want to find someone that has the heart of a teacher. And like you said, someone with the heart of a teacher is not trying to sell you a bunch of stuff. They're trying to help you get to your goal. And I liken it to almost, I'm a former athlete, so I use sport analogies, but it's, it's almost like getting a GM, a general manager. You're the team owner. Well, God's the team owner, right? Mm. You're the coach but you're looking for someone that's a general manager to be able to kind of guide you to help you get to your destination. And especially if you're married, because God has a sense of humor, right? We tend to marry someone opposite us. Yeah, yeah, uh, despite our best intentions, uh-huh. 
yeah, to work with someone that can help unite the goals, but more importantly, unite the plan. And that united plan helps you to be able to move in the same direction again. Yeah. On investing, because uh, there's a couple other things I want to get to, but on investing, uh, I mean, people hear about the Warren Buffett approach, buy and hold. Then there is the whole day trading thing. And there's the hot stock tip that like, oh, this is going to like quadruple in wealth. What, what, are, what are some solid principles that seem to have stood the test of time for investing? Well, I think the big thing is a couple things. Number one, don't invest in anything you don't understand, mm. right? Um, and anything that sounds too good to be true is. I mean, I can the whole cryptocurrency thing. Uh, this just baffles me. Uh, this became a rage and uh, a craze. You know, you've got this thing that's not regulated, and also you can't touch it, but somehow it's been giving a value by someone online, right? Like this just right. hits something out of Scooby-Doo, right? It can't be. Uh, but and so, you know, I, I tell people, you want to invest in things that you understand. Uh, the number one tool these millionaires use to, to build wealth uh, was employer-sponsored retirement plans. Uh, 401ks, 403bs, IRA, IRAs, Roth IRAs. And so it's really important to understand what you're investing in. Uh, but it's also long-term, Gary. That's, that's the big thing. Mm. You, you invest for things that are, are five years or less. You save for things, excuse me, five years or less. You invest in things that are five years or longer. Oh, that's good. To have this longer-term mindset to be able to allow money to go through the process. And investing... Is like riding a roller coaster. There are going to be ups and downs, but listen, if I've got my seatbelt, which is my plan and my long-term strategy, I know what's going on. Take this COVID situation, for example. Mm-hmm. Back in February, we know exactly where the market was. Come March, things were starting to drop. Come uh, April, it dropping even further. But as of yesterday, the market is back above where it was in February. Yeah, We're still in the middle of this COVID situation. And so I told people, don't jump out of the market. Don't pull your money out long term, right? You've got to think about that. And that's a prime example. So think long term, invest in things that you understand. uh, But at the same time, be in it and have a plan and know how it works. Yeah, it's so interesting. So much of what we talked about is kind of the long game, you know, and I always say to my team, we're playing the long game here. So, you know, quick wins are not necessarily a win. Sometimes they are, but often they're not. We do have a bit of a succession crisis brewing in the church. And even most businesses, I think it's 95% of all businesses uh, never survive their founder. So there's just a succession crisis no matter what. So um, most churches, a lot of churches, the average senior church leader, pastor, is 57 years old this year. There's a lot of 55 to 70-year-old senior pastors who uh, are still hanging on. And if they were really honest, they would say, I don't feel a passion for this anymore. I just can't afford to retire. I hear that story all the time. And they're probably one of those baby boomers that has less than $10,000 in savings or or certainly not enough to feel the freedom to move. What advice would you give to um, people at that stage of life if they're like, Chris, I'm so far behind. I almost wanted to turn off this podcast 10 times. So what would you say to them? Well, you know, hearing scenarios like that, uh, that's, that's a sad story. It is a hard story. It breaks my heart. Yeah, they're hanging on and, you know, their heart may not be all the way in it. Uh, and that's for various reasons. Um, and I would say, you know, to that pastor, if he's listening, uh, that to understand that, okay, number one, you had a call on your life. Uh, you pursued that and you've got the opportunity to help 
to be a spiritual father to so many people. Uh, we got to get your mojo back. And what that might mean is you getting with a counselor or you talking to a therapist uh, to really dig into that, uh, to hold on just from a financial standpoint. Uh, you're kind of blocking someone else's opportunity to maybe come in and enlighten and ignite a fire in other people's hearts. Uh, but you still have time and you've got value. Um, I've talked to a couple of pastors that have moved on from their church leadership position, but they moved into business or moved mm. into something with churches. And so there are options out there. I think the worst thing we do typically, Gary, is in tough situations, we tend to isolate. Yeah. We, instead of reaching out and talking to people. And that's a lesson I've learned over the last few years is that opening up to really address the things that you're thinking about or that you're concerned about. Life is not meant to be done alone. And I would encourage all of your listeners out there, if you've got a phase of life that's giving you trouble or causing you stress, I want you to reach out and get connected to someone that not only will listen to you, but will be able to give you some guidance or clarity, at least on the next step. Life is not meant to be done alone. And where you are right now does not have to be where you end up unless you stop. Hmm. It's a good word. Okay. Last question before we wrap up and I give you the floor. Um, I would love to know for people who are really strapped financially, what you would say about the role of giving? Because this is something I've spent my whole life trying to model giving, uh, preaching about it. Some people say, Chris, till I get out of debt, like I, I just can't give. What, what would you say to people who are in a tight place financially about generosity? Well, I think number one, first and foremost, giving has to be at the top. Um, it's not something you make space for. It's something that you do because of what you believe in your heart. Yeah. And, I, you know, so it, it's got to be at the top. Um, I, I tell people, listen, there are also many, many ways to give. You've got, your, you've got money, but you've got time and you've got talent. Uh, there are lots of things that you can do inside the church and as far as volunteering or with neighbors. But, but the heart behind it all uh, is really understanding that, hey, you have an opportunity to be able to make an impact with other people. And that for me is the thing that's driven me so much financially. Uh, in, a, in a family of, of, uh, in Kentucky, my grandparents were constantly giving. Uh, my grandfather was always working on someone else's vehicle. I never saw money change hands, uh, but he was working on it, fixing it. My grandparent, my mother, grandmother was always having people come over for dinner uh, that I now know were going through rough times in life. Uh, never saw money exchange hands, but you saw a lot of love. And so I, the main thing is, is just be aware, uh, but, but make, a, make it a priority. If you haven't given, just find 20 bucks in your budget. Cut out eating out uh, once, once, you know, just do it. That's what happens. I've never met anyone that's ever regretted giving. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where it has an, ama an amazing impact. Ah, thank you. Chris, people are going to want to connect with you. I'm sure many already have. Uh, you got a podcast, you got books, you got everything. Where can they find you online? Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah, I've got books and resources. Uh, you can find it all at my website, chrishogan360.com. Again, that's chrishogan360.com. Awesome. Chris, thank you so much. It's been a joy. Thank you, Gary. It's a pleasure to be with you. Man, I love getting to be able to talk to Chris, and there were some real surprises in that interview. If you want more, we have transcripts and show notes for you. You can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 368. Next episode, we got Greg Atkinson coming up. Greg will be on for the third time, and we talk about welcoming guests online. So much has changed since COVID hit. He's been on a couple times talking about welcoming guests in person 
And we kind of update everything to talk about what that's like in the pandemic. Here is an excerpt. This goes with both experiences. Something that I have noticed since March is pastoral care has never been so important. Um, I have heard of churches after churches after churches that have had their staff divide up the database and go through and call people and check on them and just say, hey, I know we're not meeting. We just want to make sure you're okay. We just want to know you're okay. That's next time on the podcast. Also coming up, for those of you who subscribe, uh, thank you for doing that. We have... Uh, let's see, who have we got? We got Lecrae, Brad Lominick, uh, John Gordon, William Vanderblum, and Todd Wilson from Exponential, Ann Graham Lotz, Lisa Turkers, Tom Rayner, Rich Velotis, uh, Kayla Steckline, and so much more. So excited for this. And uh, if you subscribe, you get it for free. And once again, thank you to all of you. I know a lot of new listeners. We continue to set new highs on this podcast. And um, just thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for leaving ratings and reviews. We really appreciate you. And in what I'm thinking about, um, brought to you, by the way, by Pro Media Fire, make sure you check out their new church growth plans, which they will customize for you at promediafire.com forward slash church growth and Remodel Health. Go to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry today to learn how your organization can save in healthcare and get free access to a suite of resources that they have prepared for you. So let's talk about church engagement. Um, all right, we're all online. We got that. But the question is, you've got all these eyeballs. What do you do with it, right? Like if you get the notification through YouTube or you check your Facebook analytics or your website stats and you've got like 318 views of a message or 30,000 views of a message, what does that actually mean? It's getting really hard to track that. So uh, I'm going to talk to you about why engagement is so important. But I want you to know that I'm putting on a summit absolutely for free with myself, Levi Lusco, Bobby Grunwald from Life Church, and Nona Jones. It's called the Online Church Engagement Summit. It's short, it's going to be powerful, and it's free. And it's happening in October. So you head on over right now and register for onlinechurchengagement.com. Get in. And we just want to bring lots of leaders together, get some of the top thinkers to talk about how do we actually engage the people that we are connecting with online. Now, why is engagement important, right? Because you look at this, like we had one day on this podcast recently where 28,000 people downloaded it, which is awesome. That's great. But like, what does a number like that mean, right? You have 28,000 people, 28 people, 280. I pick whatever level of engagement you get. And like, what does that mean? You don't know who those people are. How, how do you connect with them? Well, engagement is the key to getting people involved. And so what you want to do is, and, and this was true pre-COVID, right? Uh, I've been saying for about five or six years now that engagement is the new church attendance. For years and years and years, churches were like, well, how many people are attending? How many people are coming? At first it was membership, then it was attendance. But the game shifted a long time ago because attendance was already in decline. People who attended church attended less often. So rather than coming three times a month, they might come once a month. And engagement is really the new church attendance. So what do we mean by that? We mean instead of just having somebody who sits in the back row or sits behind their screen and doesn't do anything, you want them to engage. You want them to become involved. So why is why does engagement matter? And we're going to give you some resources at the Online Church Engagement Summit to help you do that. But I want to, I want to explain why this is so important, why this should be the focus of your online ministry in the next season. So first of all, attendance was never the goal, all right? The idea was never to get people to sit behind a screen or show up in a building. 
you know, Jesus never said, attend me. He said, follow me. So early Christians didn't attend church. They were the church. So what you want to do is you want to move someone to action who is watching or someone who's attending. Second reason, attendance grows out of engagement anyway. If you think about this, right? Because, um, okay, there, there's a thousand people who watched your last message. Great. You don't even know right now whether those people are the same people, whether they're different people, but an engaged person will come back. If you come really engaged, think about gym membership, right? It's like, yeah, you know, gym membership, it's a great way to make money, at least in the old economy, because why? Most people take out a membership and never come back. But if your goal is, I want to grow my numbers, that's fine. If your goal is, I want to help people get fit, and, you know, hopefully your goal as a church leader is more than, you know, just trying to get people to show up. You want people to grow. Um, then you want engaged people. Because uh, if you're really engaged in a fitness journey, you'll probably show up at the gym three or four times a week. If you're not, well, then you won't. Well, same thing. If you have engaged people attending your church, they're going to be the people who invite. They're going to be the people who grow. They're going to be the people who will show up again and again. So in the future, only the engaged will attend because only the engaged will remain. So it makes sense that the more you can get people engaged online, the more you will get people to really engage the mission that we're all about. Reason number three, trying to attract people in a post-Christian culture can work against the mission. So it's hard. It's hard, right? Because you're, you're uh, sharing a message that people don't necessarily want to hear. And so what you want to do is you want to get people engaged because then they will not be evaluating your church by what they get out of it, but by what they put in it. And so you will be in a place where people are saying, yeah, I want in, I want more, I want to help, I want to share this with my neighbors. So again, if you value engagement, you will start to program toward engagement. Um, our culture is also really ripe for an alternative to consuming. Consumption is everywhere. And if you look at what millennials really want and Gen Z really wants, uh, people are longing for an alternative to life as they know it and the church is that alternative. And then finally, I'll finish here people become the most passionate about the things in which they're most involved. So if you get someone to move beyond just passively watching your service or scrolling through a video uh, and you get them to become involved, they become passionate about it, okay? People become most passionate about the things with which they're most involved. And engagement fuels involvement. Involvement fuels passion and passion fuels invitation. Who is most likely to invite people to your services in the future? the people who are most passionately engaged. So for all those reasons, if I was you, I'd be focusing on engagement right now. So I would love for you to register right now. Uh, Levi Lusco, Bobby Grunwald, Nona Jones, and I are doing a 90-minute summit. It's not long, not one of these, we got a thousand speakers, you know, look, it's going to last five days. Nope. Short, powerful, um, helpful, and it's free. So you can register for the Online Church Engagement Summit at onlinechurchengagement.com. Just go to onlinechurchengagement.com and you can register today for free. That's coming up in October. Would love to see you there. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Really enjoyed our time together today. Thank you for sharing, leaving ratings and reviews. And I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.